yet. I've seen it. It's amazing. Are you happy with it? <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you like it. <laughs> so where did this idea come from? I don't even remember talking about it and then it suddenly happened. I, it was something that was said to me a while ago was that it would be good to have a kind of hub for all of the podcast episodes and podcast news and other bits and pieces, which we, I haven't got around to doing, but maybe pictures or, or anything else that we might endeavour in. Or mugs. The distribution of mugs could also be helpful on a website. But now <laughs> we have our very own brand shiny new website. And you did. Did you do? Did you have some help with that? When did this happen? Because literally it was from one day to the next. You said, I've got a surprise. And I thought, crikey, you're not going to give me another mug. Because <laughs> the mug was lovely, but I don't... <laughs> but I just thought... Yeah, and you know how I feel about T-shirt. I don't want a T-shirt. And, and I thought, I don't need another mug. And then suddenly you pop up with this all singing or dancing website. Well, I wouldn't say all singing or dancing. I have done it myself. And there are still some errors and some kinks to, to work out. But rest assured, tennis fans... If you look on a computer or laptop, it should appear fine. The phone <laughs> website, it look, it works. It works. It's fine. You can navigate your way around. It's okay. But it's not quite uh, smart. It's a little bit messy. But it still works. You can still... It, it's, it's a pretty simple <laughs> website, to be honest. But you don't need much instruction. And I'm sure our listeners are more than capable of figuring it out. Well, the first thing they'll have to figure out is our name. Because when you look at it on a mobile phone, you, d- you don't see our name. You see the middle bit of our name. Yes. We're like, no, niece, no, niece. <laughs> well, but they, they all know the logo, so it's fine. Look, that is to be worked on, but I'm just not quite there yet anyway. But it's, it's, it's up. Go and check it out. No, it, it's amazing. Tennishpodcast.com. Yes, tennishpodcast.com. We'll also tweet about it and, well, yeah, Instagram, that sort of thing. And, uh, yeah. We're just going to spread the word. Yeah, it'll be the home for all of your tennis news. Okay. Not that we have much currently. <laughs> Although you're in New York, how's it going? I was going to say, what news is that? Uh, it's going well. I am sat. I don't know how much noise you're going to hear behind me, but I'm sat on the practice courts because I was trying to find somewhere, a little corner to come and record the podcast. Because currently, Kyle Edmund is on court. I'm doing the match after Kyle. So I ran down to the media restaurant, nice outdoors bit. For some reason, everybody is sat there. There was not one table. And I was looking around thinking, I don't know where to go. So I'm sat in the very top row of the practice courts looking down on Victoria Azarenka being put through her paces. I can hear her. Can you? <laughs> I thought you might. Well, luckily, she can't hear me right now. So I think that's that's the better way around in terms of what we're doing. Um, no, it's been going really well. It hasn't been that hot. You know me, if it gets too hot, it's just brutal. It has not been that humid. It's not been that hot. It's quite cool at the moment. It is... What time are we? We are coming up to five o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, yeah, so thank you for staying up to do this because it's a little bit later with you. Uh, it's not too late. It's all right. It's not quite past my bedtime. Maybe by the time we finish. <laughs> yeah, when I stop hearing you and you stop speaking to me, it's because you've fallen asleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think you've ever fallen asleep on me before. <laughs> this, could be, uh, this could be the first time. No, it's good. It's good to be here to see everything that's happening. Look, we're only, what, nearly two days in to the main draw, but as you know it's it's nice to be around these tournaments you see lots of people that maybe you don't see for large chunks of the year or maybe they're people that you only see there's a there's a lovely lady who's in charge of the lift now her job is to make sure we get up and down and the right people get in the right lift and bless her she sits in that lift 
doors opening, closing, off we go. And it just goes to two floors and down again for what, five, six, seven hours a day. Uh, so it was nice to see we had a little chat today. I think the people were quite annoyed because they wanted to get out the lift. <laughs> and I was just nattering away. But it's no, it, it has been it has been nice. But I had to tell you, and I, I can't believe I've had to wait this long to tell you about my immigration experience, Ooh. which again is it's kind of not something ever thought I'd say so go through immigration and you know you've got all your right bits and pieces and there's nothing to be concerned about yeah I I as far as I know I've never done anything dodgy done everything by the book off we go but there's something about waiting in the visa queue (laughs) when you're going into America you keep thinking what if I don't know they ask me a question and I can't answer it or they don't let me it's it I know it's ridiculous because everything was fine so I get into the line I go and see this guy and he said what are you doing and I said I'm here to work um, on the tennis and he said oh wow tennis he said um, I used to want to be a sports commentator and I was like wow wow why why didn't you become a sports commentator and this was the immigration guy he said well there's no money in it oh wow <laughs> and I was like okay he said I just wasn't gonna make you know unless you're like the the top sort of one or two percent you're not gonna make any money and I thought right okay so he said I decided to do this instead I said well you know there's a there's a there's a move <laughs> and um, he said who do you work for I said BBC he said um, can I listen to you and I said well, I'm not sure if you could listen to it over here I said but I do a podcast and he said no way a podcast what's it about and I said tennis ish sort of kind of <laughs> can I find it on iTunes and I said yes and he said can I have a mention so I'm standing in front of the immigration guy at JFK airport and there's this massive queue of people wanting to come through and he's saying will you say hello to me on your podcast and I was like yes <laughs> and he said if you don't I'll come and find you and <laughs> 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 when someone from immigration in the US is saying that I was like yeah of course I will not a problem and he said and he's kind of waggled his finger and said I'm going to be listening with a smile and then in I went so I was allowed in obviously because I'm here um, but then I realised I didn't get his name. Well, I was just going to say, so what is, what's his name? I don't know. Let's give him a shout out. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> what, if, what if we have a hundred different immigration officers that <laughs> listen to tennis? He's not going to know. They're all going to think they've got to have a shout out for no reason at all. Well, but can you imagine if I'd gone through to the baggage bit, realised I hadn't got his name and then tried to walk back into the immigration queue, I would have been arrested. Can you imagine? Woman walks back to speak to challenge immigration officer. Oh, no, officer. you can't go back. Exactly. I can't go back. I've just been let in. I can't go back. So, But I thought that if you are listening, and I'm really sorry I didn't get your name, then get in touch, uh, send us a tweet, and then we can give you a proper mention next week. Does that work? Oh, I love that, though. And I, I love that he, well, he could have been a sports commentator, but chose a more lucrative career I'm, I'm now fascinated to know how much they earn it sounds great <laughs> I think maybe we should consider this <laughs> I have to say though it was the it was the best ever immigration question you know where do you live what to do how long are you here for etc etc can I have a mention on the podcast <laughs> yes but straight in I love that as well just straight in yep mention me obviously of course and a, and a little a little waggling of the finger in my direction and I thought well uh, of course you can so Ooh. but yeah no I do apologise if you are listening oh so you're making friends that's nice well I got in <laughs> which was great I also interestingly enough I had a chat with Mike Cation now Mike Cation for people who love their tennis is the voice of the challenge tour does all the commentary he's been working on ATP yes. tennis radio but he's recently released a podcast um coffee cast that he's doing with Noah Rubin the American player 
And it was actually quite interesting. I know everyone thinks that everybody's competing with everyone, but I found it really interesting to have a chat with Mike about what they're doing and how they do it. And it's kind of, it's a similar but different dynamic to us, I guess, in the sense that you are a former player, Noah is a current player. But do you know what I mean? And, and you've, got the, you've got sort of Mike and I on one side of things and then yourself and Noah on the other side. You, you actually know the stuff that's gone on and happened. But that is what is brilliant about podcasts is that you can just consume it. Because for me, I'm somebody who talks about tennis every day with some people who are interested, <laughs> some people who are not. But I'm going to talk about it, so that's just the way that it goes. And so it's nice that, that uh, I get to talk about it for a living to people who are hopefully moderately interested in what I have to say (laughs) but uh, what I'm saying is that I will have conversations every day and I will join in other people's conversations so that's what's so great about podcasts is that you can consume each week lots of different conversations about tennis ours is maybe a little bit more ish than uh, it sounds like (laughs) Mike and Noah's is but but then hey that's in our names we I love that we gave ourselves that leeway originally we were like yeah let's make this ish let's (laughs) let's bring some some nonsense in there as well I I think that was very smart on our part I I don't think Mike and Noah talk about school uniforms and I think sometimes (laughs) with me you know this happens with me I sometimes forget what we talk about or maybe I don't realise that people actually listen and someone came up to me it was Sophie Amiak a colleague of ours and said how are the school jumpers and I'm slightly jet lagged I'm at the tennis and I thought what school jumpers <laughs> and just like I listened to the podcast last week I was like oh the school jumpers and I, I do forget that people listen and they'll suddenly say oh so you're you're going back to take them to school and I was like these people seem to know a lot about me and sort of forgetting that oh and lastly on the school uniform for anyone that's still interested it's all in place but I have point blank refused to put names in socks I don't even know if you should put names in socks but I am not naming socks so you're just going to lose them well how do you put names in in dark grey socks I just I can't I can't put names in socks I just I just I just think it's too much and I have though I have relayed a message back home to the the lovely people and family who are helping look after the boys that they must not grow in the next now week so right now any, not being fed so maybe no vegetables I think I think for a week don't get the vitamins no vegetables let's just keep them let's keep them one size so we can just get back and get it going well you think that it's weird having people say oh you know what about the school trousers and shorts and that sort of thing what about me I've got people saying oi ball bag what's going on <laughs> that hasn't really happened (laughs) can you imagine and for all of those listeners that have just joined us for the US Open you might have to go back a few episodes to find out why people might shout ball bag at me or why Naomi slid off a hill or why she got her tongue part of her tongue left on an ice cream tub Oh, I forgot about yeah, that one. I, I was reminded about that the other day when someone said, oh, can you imagine anyone would ever do something like this? <laughs> I, was, I was so close to saying, <laughs> I actually know someone who did. And I just stopped and chuckled to myself. So I didn't. I also did it proudly. Let's not forget that. How did you? Oh, because you didn't tell anyone. <laughs> no, you suffered in silence. I don't think you were proud. I think you just suffered in silence. Yes. You rip oh, half yeah. your tongue off and then you yeah. just suffer in silence. Yeah. But no, no, I, but I'm proud of what I did. I'm, I think it's, I think it's great I tried and it didn't work 
I will not try it again. You are not proud Sorry. of what you, are you proud of what you did. <laughs> I can't believe that. Well, I was a bit embarrassed, and then I thought uh, my only options are to be embarrassed or happy. So I decided to be happy. <laughs> I'm going to bring it round to tennis. Oh, Sorry good. to bring it round to tennis. So move away from your your tongue and your ball bag face. <laughs> <It's> just <laughs> I can't believe you reminded me about that. We've had a, we've had a couple of questions from from Nat. So thank you, Nat, for your Hello, questions. Nat. Um, some of them we're going to do in 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 another podcast, but this one here, which and since Nat brought up this question, I've been looking at it here. Can you talk about shoving, these are Nat's words, can you talk about shoving tennis balls up your skirt? How can that possibly be comfortable? (laughs) (laughs) We're not finished yet. How can that be comfortable and how on earth do your balls not fall out? (laughs) Well, now. (laughs) Nat. Oh, Nat. Okay. Right, well, we'll we'll go with that literally, I think. Um, Am I supposed to take this seriously or what? I feel kind of weird taking it seriously. It's a serious question. And since I've been here, there are certain players like Serena Williams who just takes a ball when she needs it, which is just as well because she's wearing this bodysuit, sort of play suit because it's shorts at the bottom and long sleeves. It's tight, isn't it? It's, It's very fitted and you're not sticking a ball up anywhere. I mean, there is no way you could stick a ball up those shorts. So, But she doesn't need to because she will only ever have one ball but for those who like to store a ball um, how on earth can it be comfortable I agree with that and how do they not fall out serious question from our listener (laughs) (laughs) okay serious question thank you Nat very appreciated Uh, so the ball shorts that you wear underneath are basically um, pretty much skin tight so they've got a little bit of elastic in them you can pop the ball up and it's going to stay in place as long as you put it far enough up it's not going to fall out when you run around. But you could say the same thing as to why, how do balls stay in pockets when you run around the place? Like, they just, they do. They're not, they're not trying to escape. <laughs> so you've got to get it really far up. That's the first thing. <laughs> Stop it. You have to get it quite far up. You have to, firstly, you have to wear shorts or a skirt that fits. That, that is also another thing. Yes. Uh, and what, what else were the questions? Um, is it why we do it? Uh, no, is it comfortable and why do they not fall out? Uh, you get used to it. It's like having a ball in the pocket, really. It's, it, it is pretty good. The only really annoying thing is with coaching. I've ruined a number of shorts where I've got the ball shorts on the inside. As a female coach, that's what I am, you don't wear the big baggy shorts like the guys do with big baggy pockets. <laughs> you <laughs> Revelations on this week's tennis podcast. I know, right? I know, and a nice nice reference to baggy pockets as well. Yes, you wear shorter shorts, so you don't have big pockets in them. So you can only fit a couple of balls in, but when you're feeding as a coach you want to have a lot of balls in your pocket so that you can keep the rhythm going because you know the person you're coaching is probably not very good missing a lot so you want to just grab another one and go grab another one and go whereas guys can fit six seven balls in a big pocket in uh, their shorts whereas for the women we've got to pop it up the the shorts the ball shorts and you can't fit many up there but oh i try oh i really try and i get a good six or seven up there but it just means that I stretch the shorts and then I ruin them but uh, that's probably the only annoying part of it 
and otherwise it's pretty comfortable like what else are you going to do you don't always play with ball boys especially and girls when you're ranked lower so you need to have two balls you can't keep running to the back to grab another one I've seen different methods so some people will put the second ball on the ground and then if they make their first serve they kick it away <laughs> that's not okay <laughs> that's a death trap is what that is uh, then you can go old school with the ball clip behind you and you just pop it in the clip that's kind of attached to the waistband of your skirt and the last option which is a new option for me I didn't know this existed until after I stopped playing and this is very much a club thing is you pop it in your sports bra but then you have quite an absurd and odd lump in a in a weird place and that's definitely not comfortable and it's tough to play but that was the latest one that I've seen those are pretty much your options what do you mean you pop it in your sports bra how on earth I think you should try it out I and don't think do you I get will, it out uh, <laughs> <laughs> go into the details but it just is it looks absurd <laughs> not that it matters what it looks like it's also just not very convenient because you're trying to swing and hit shots and if the ball does come out it'll probably fly up and hit you in the face <laughs> rather than <laughs> if it's in your shorts it'll just fall down <laughs> so it's, it's a nightmare all around so it was a good question at the end from nat uh, nat so to surmise Naomi likes to stick because she is a female tennis coach she'd just like to make that point that she likes to stick as many balls as she possibly can <laughs> up her shorts and if you stick it far enough up it won't fall out <laughs> that's that's the conclusion pretty much I think, think you've nailed it that, that was excellent love the question Nat. I cannot wait for the follow on questions now <laughs> if you if you have more questions for us then then do get in touch just to say I've seen uh, Coco Goff the teenage sensation 15 years of age just making her way into the complex because she's playing this is a very good vantage point I have to say you can sort of see what's going on and and who's wandering around now let me ask you I know it's happened Serena Williams Maria Sharapova are blockbuster that wasn't a blockbuster first round tie yeah thoughts on that and maybe I don't know the fallout from that I mean do we now think there were people on social media saying well is Maria Sharapova really going to continue and others saying well this doesn't really affect anything because she hadn't beaten her since 2004 and and are we seeing a different Serena or was it just that Serena you just say the words Maria Sharapova and suddenly Serena brings out the A-game. Serena loves playing Maria. That's the main thing. I think if she could choose someone to play, she would. Maria would be high up on the list. Her and Venus have always loved playing against her. Really, they have. And, I mean, I remember, our, I think, when Venus beat Maria at, um, at Wimbledon. And she came off the court, went into a flash interview. It was very comfortable. Again, it was two and two, two and one, something like that. And they said, oh, wow, how was that? And she just said, oh, I love playing Maria. It's, <laughs> it's, it just it really suits her because ultimately Sharapova plays a very similar game to Venus and Serena, but she doesn't hit it as hard and she doesn't move as well. So they just, they've just got her number. And unless she were to dramatically change her game style, which is quite particular, um, she'd never... She'd never have much of a chance like and and if you just think about I found it really strange that like I get the the whole kind of build up around the match I understand that because it's Serena against Sharapova and it's a bit edgy isn't it and Sharapova wrote her book and said that you know she made Serena cry and that's why Serena's never lost to her and it's like well <laughs> I don't quite follow your logic but okay we'll go with that and 
Yeah, I, I just I never expected it to be anything but one-sided. You've got to think since in, in the past couple of years, Serena's made three Grand Slam finals and is a top ten player, and Sharapova is barely able to play multiple matches, let alone do anything in tournaments. So. Yeah, I mean the the difference in level is huge, and even if the different, even if the level was the same, Serena loves playing against her. Like she loves the tension, she likes the bite to it, she likes the fact that Sharapova cannot stand to lose to her, let alone get thumped one on one. So yeah, I don't think it was underwhelming at all. I thought it was kind of as expected uh, for Sharapova I don't think she's done but I mean she's not going to get back to where she was I just can't really see that happening she can't stay fit enough it's been years now that she just can't be fit enough she can't play enough matches what are you wearing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry but uh, not that I wasn't paying attention to you before because there is there's a lot for me to keep in mind but I just looked at you and there are three faces. Do you want me to zoom in? It, no, I don't. It's it's really <laughs> creepy. I just I just <laughs> I just Wait, suddenly focus. There's a big one on my stomach. <laughs> what are you wearing? There's one on each shoulder. It's like a devil and an angel. You know who that is? That is the most hideous item of clothing I have ever seen. Do you know who it is? It's the celebrity chef. Is it? Yes. Ainsley yes. Harriet. Is that right? Of course. Who else would I have on a T-shirt? I mean, it's horrendous. Why do you have that T-shirt? <laughs> and and why has he been duplicated? <laughs> why are there multiple Ainsleys on your T-shirt? Um, ben bought it for me. It's a bit of a psychedelic uh, T-shirt. There are some large heads on it of Ainsley Harriet. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember why he bought it for me. He just did. Thought it'd be funny. Uh, this was many years ago. And I've actually just kind of pulled it into into the uh, the rotation of what I'm wearing at the moment I, I'm not gonna lie I tend to wear it around the house and not go out <laughs> but I can tell you that on one occasion I did wear it out I wore it to work can you believe it <laughs> I wore it to work because I'd come back from a tournament and I just didn't have any clean clothes so I wore it and uh, my fellow commentator Adam Fielder uh, took a picture and put it on Twitter because he thought it was that brilliant. I think he said something like, oh, like best outfit I've ever had a co-commentator wear. And I was like, yeah, it is. It's amazing. I don't know. Why are you looking at me like that? You look like you're ill. It's awful. <laughs> I mean, it's awful. I mean, that, that is genuinely... I'm. Oh, can we post a picture? It's awful. Actually, no, we're not going to post a picture on this. And it's not going on our new website. It's not going on our new oh, website. Oh, this is awful. Can we talk? I'd like to talk and get your thoughts on Stefanos Tsitsipas. Now, oh, yes. he, hasn't, he hasn't had the best run of form lately. He lost today to Andre Rublev. And look, there's no shame in losing to Andre Rublev. This is the man who beat Roger Federer in under an hour recently. He's coming back to form. He's getting, he's getting back to where he wants to be. But afterwards, I think it's what Stefanos Tsitsipas said afterwards when he came into press and we know that after Wimbledon his first round exit he said look I sat in my room for a few days I read a book on Roger Federer I just I just hid away from everyone and today and he's quite intense as an individual in terms of what he says and he's quite could use the word deep but he just says I feel like I'm doing the same thing again and again my brain can't take it anymore and he sounded very very despondent we have to remember this is a guy who very recently was five in the world he's still very very young and 
sounds like we've seen it on court. I mean, today it looked like he was cramping. He was taking salts and he was finding it really, really difficult. But it's really hard to hear, isn't it? I mean, these are very, very young guys. They're under an awful lot of pressure. And then he's coming into his press conference saying, look, I, look, my brain can't take it anymore. It's just, I don't know what there is left at the moment. Yeah, well, you kind of get brought back down to earth, don't you? Um, and I think that's basically what happened. He lost an absolute heartbreaker, a match that he could have won plenty of times uh, at the French Open, the one that he was mentioning. And it's hard for him to bounce back from that. Something didn't go his way. And you have to think, actually, for the most part of his career, stuff has gone his way. He's been a tremendous talent. He has worked incredibly hard, very focused, very driven, um, and he has been absolutely motoring on his way up to the top. And it's not easy when you get there. The thing is, is that I think that a lot of people, a lot of players think that when they get there, it becomes easier. Every, every hurdle becomes easier. You know, okay, once I'm in the top 100, then I'm in the main draw of slam, so I can, I can breathe, I don't have to push as much. But, you know, then you've got the threat of falling out of the top 100. And then it's, okay, well, once I'm in the, the top 32, then I'm seeded. Then it'll become easier. Okay, well, now you've got pressure because you really, you know, you've got to be winning rounds here. You've got to be doing well. And, and each level, you know, it, it was one thing, actually, Joe Jury once said to me, she said, everybody thinks it gets easier the further up you go. It doesn't get any easier. It just gets harder. But it does get an awful lot nicer. It just never gets any easier. Each hurdle, you, every stage you get to, there's just more pressure. There's more stuff going on. There's more interest. There's more noise around you, whatever else it is. And I mean, he's he's achieved enormously, but he clearly hates losing, which is something that all the top guys have. They absolutely hate to lose, especially the heartbreakers. Uh, and they tend to get better at dealing with it as they get older and more experienced. And I'm sure he will get better. At it. I mean, it's slightly concerning that it's been a matter of months and he's still dwelling on it. You can imagine a couple of rough weeks. But ultimately, in tennis, it's such a luxury. We have four major events a year in terms of the Grand Slams. There, I mean, I know this is the last one of the year, but there are so many big tournaments coming up. He can fight for his place in London at the top eight. That He's got another Masters event to play. So there are so many matches that he can get stuck into and that's the thing with tennis at cave sometimes i can complain or players can complain about the length of the season and how much is going on but ultimately there's always another week there's always another match you can just keep going so you get so many opportunities it's not like an olympic sport where you train for the best part of four years and that's your moment and you happen to be a hundred meter sprinter and if you make one mistake you're out because you're just never going to catch up that ground you know, you can make a hundred errors in a match, as we saw Djokovic do, and still go on and win the tournament. So he has a lot of luxuries, which he, I think, it would be helpful if he reminded himself on that. But sure, I think the reason he is so good is because he hates to lose. Absolutely hates it. So were you bored of what I was saying? Where did you go? I'm never bored. I'm never <laughs> bored of what you're saying. Yes, you are. You just vanished. I was just happily chatting. When? What are you talking about when? I was happily chatting about Tsitsipas. Uh, I look up and you're gone. We have to remember that was that was now 12 hours ago and a lot can happen in 12 hours. No, the, the problem was that I was... So we're speaking now on Wednesday morning. 
I'm in my hotel room, you're at home. And last time we were speaking was on the practice courts. But I had a, a really small window because at the end of the Kyle Edmund match, I was doing the next match, which was Coco Goff. And I thought it would I thought it would last a little bit longer than it did. And I didn't want to interrupt what you were saying because as always, it was very, very interesting and enlightening. So what I did was I waved at you a little bit and then I just left because I had to Oh, go. I missed the wave. <laughs> <laughs> you were just gone. Well, that's because you you were you were so focused, just fo- focused on what you were saying or looking at your Ainsley Harriet T-shirt. And I'm so glad you're not wearing that today that um, I had to leave because I was sort of getting messages saying, she's coming out, we've got to go. And the US Open, the commentary box is in Arthur Ashe. It's an incredible view. It's wonderful. I'll post a picture on our Twitter and Instagram account. But the only way to get there is a lift. Now, there are two lifts, but you can only use one lift because the other lift is for, I think it's for push chairs and other bits and pieces. And the lift takes forever. It's not as though you can say, I'll be there in one minute. You can wait 20 minutes for this lift and you're standing there thinking, this is not going well. So as soon as I kind of saw the scoreline, I had to leave. So... Um, I do. Did, did you say anything else interesting or was that it? Did you well, stop? I tell you what, let's leave it as a surprise and you can listen to the episode and go, oh, you don't even know what I was trying to say about Sitsipas or anyone else. You've got no idea. It was gold. But to be fair, you do have to go and work. That is kind of why you're in New York. So I understand. And you were essentially you were following You're on as soon as Kyle Edmund had finished. Right. And he was two love up in the third. And then did he lose six games in a row? Oh, no, not in the third, in the fifth, in the fifth, sorry. Andahar broke back, so it's 2-1, so we thought, right, we're back on serve, we've we've probably got some time here. And the next thing we look up, it's match points to Pablo Andahar, and I thought, ah, we've got to speed this up, and I had to. But it was it was interesting, the talking, and I still don't know everything you said about Stefano Tsitsipas, but at the end of yesterday, four of the men's top ten had gone. It was uh, Rafa Nadal, who came through very comfortably against John Millman, was... They asked him in his press conference, they said, oh, what do you think about four of the top 10 being on? He said, four? Have they? Really? Um, and then he gave a very interesting answer. He said that, um, he said, Dominic team, he said, well, he's been ill. So, you know, it's sort of quite sad for Dominic team. And, and he said Sitsipas was quite surprised, but that it's been um, a little bit difficult for him later. Karen Heshanov, he, he hadn't heard that one, so he didn't know that. And then for Roberto Bautista Agut, who's just made it into the top 10, his friend, he said, I'm very sad for Roberto. So there was, there was nice analysis from, uh, from Rafa Nadal of the demise of the, of the top 10 seeds. Yeah, I, I can imagine in his mind, he probably stopped just a little bit short of saying, which ones? Are they in my section? <laughs> Is my draw better now? Who knows? But I mean, for the top three, like, yeah, t- four of the top 10 have gone, but none of the top three have gone. And if we look at the winners of Grand Slams over the past 10, 15 years, it tends to be <laughs> one of those top three. So you would think that it's just making life easier for them. Every possible threat that uh, gets eaten up is a, a bonus, really. And you've got to say, Hashanov's been doing pretty well. He's been pushing them all quite close. Uh, I mean, Medvedev is still in, isn't he, currently? So he is probably the biggest threat still out there um Zverev it's tough to say he's a threat because he's just been struggling so much this year and and yeah really any threat apart from each other and they know each other so well uh all but eliminated really but uh Medvedev it's not saying that they can't lose 
to somebody else, but uh, just that uh, definitely Sitsipas and Hashanov, uh, and particularly Team as well. But a couple of a couple of big threats gone for them. So I think they're all feeling pretty comfortable. Well, we talk about the experience of going the distance in a Grand Slam, and Team is one of those guys who's done it at the French Open. He knows what it's like to to get to that match, to walk out on a Grand Slam final day and I did um, the ATP Tennis Radio podcast with Nick McCarvel the preview one and and he put it as you know you've got the 125 little guys he wasn't being disrespectful but he said you've got 125 little guys and then you've got the big three and in terms of our predictions we both went Novak Djokovic I find it hard I haven't found anybody. I think at a push, people have said, well, if I can't have the top three, then I'm going Daniel Medvedev. While others are saying, well, surely Daniel Medvedev will have a reaction because he has played so much tennis. And now he's bringing that tiredness and also that good form into a different format. Over, And we have to remember Daniel Medvedev. And sometimes you have to sort of look back because you're you're coloured and you're blinded by what you've seen. He's never been to the quarterfinals of a Grand Slam before. And there are people now tipping him and we're not saying it can't happen to win the US Open. And he's saying, everybody, <laughs> just just take a step back. I've not been in a quarterfinal before. So it's, uh, yeah, once again, it, it's really hard. It's, it's really hard. I know in the women's game, we talk about 10, 15 players who could win it. There are currently four who could be number one at the end of it. But in the men's, you know, you've got the other thing of cannot see, cannot see it coming out of the top three. And I'll refer to my point from a few podcasts ago. It's boring. I can't believe it. No, it's not. No, it's not. It would be great. I'm joking. But for Medvedev, the last player, I think, on the men's side that would have achieved something like that, that Medvedev might achieve if he were to win it, I think was probably Rafa when he won French Open for the first time. Because all of the other guys, the rest of the big four, they really had to kind of chip away and get used to best of five sets and and push players and, and play the long heartbreakers and, and get through it. Remember, we saw cramping and throwing up and some tanking of sets, particularly from Djokovic and Murray. I mean, Federer was maybe a little bit slicker, particularly at Wimbledon. But still, it took some years for them to adjust. So to even think that uh, you know Medvedev where he was ranked a year ago would now come and win the US Open I think was uh, it's not absurd he absolutely could I don't think he will but it, it would be on a level that we haven't seen since Rafa just rocked up to Roland Garros and was like oh you want me to win this thing oh okay right was that all right great one of many, I would say 12, but it's probably going to be more Roland Garros titles. The thing about podcasts is they can date so quickly, especially around a tournament. And, and this guy is probably long gone by the time some people listen. But an impressive performance I saw yesterday was Denis Shapovalov, who's playing Felix Ogieliasim. Mm. And for a large chunk of the match, it has to be said that, and I was only keeping half an eye on that because I was working on uh, commentating on the Coco Golf match, Ogieliasim couldn't find the court. I mean, he literally could not find the court, despite Shapovalov playing well. And just interesting, I just, I think it's interesting, they're, they're really good friends. Shapovalov was here as the eight. Uh, sorry, Ogieliasim was here as the 18th seed. And Shapovalov was the one who sort of slightly stopped in terms of progress recently. But, you know, there is, I, I'm not, I'm not now making a case, can I just say, for Denis Shapovalov to go and win the US Open this year. But interesting to see that performance because no, that many people have been talking about him as much, but someone I spoke to in the first few days say that for them, Shapovalov is the most exciting of all the young players coming through. He is the one that 
he thinks will go the furthest of all of them and to see that performance and maybe that's just what he needed look he's a good friend he's going to stay a good friend with Ogier Eliassime but it was a convincing beating of his friend to get to round two and it's uh, look we're all talking about Medvedev and I understand why but it's uh, interesting to look at the other next gen guys that are doing their thing yeah I look it was a convincing scoreline it was straight sets but Ogier Eliassime has been having a pretty rough time of late he's not he's clearly just it looks just a little bit lost. He's had a bit of a dip mentally. I'm not sure if it's physical. He's played a lot this year. His rank has gone through the roof. Not sure if it's pressure. You know, who knows? But as I've said so many times in this pod, and I will continue to say, it's ridiculous to expect players to be in peak match condition, peak physical condition, peak mental condition uh, for 11 months of the year. It's just not it's just not realistic at all. So he's having a little dip and that's all right. He's very, very young. Shapovalov is probably coming out of his little dip. Uh, he also is very young. I mean, he his was possibly a little more physical and mental. He maybe overdid it a bit, particularly last year and is just trying to rein back. But um, yeah, interesting that Shapovalov, the most exciting, I think potentially on game style, yes, but in terms of achieving the most, I don't see it because look at the Djokovic who is currently achieving the most and will probably or not probably will possibly go on to have achieved the most uh he's not quite there yet but his game is methodical and relentless and he follows rules and regulations and he just always does the right thing relentlessly no matter what the time what the score is no matter how long he's been playing no matter conditions he just does the right thing and if you're looking at somebody like that you've got to look at potentially a medvedev or an Auger Eliassime. Now, Auger Eliassime is better technically than Medvedev. And we talked about this on last week's pod, how that can really sneak up on you uh, if you have a, a couple of kinks in your technique that could be vulnerable in different times. So, um, yeah, I would be looking to more of the guys that have the least vulnerability rather than the more aggressive players um yes Federer is a very very aggressive player particularly with his movement but his technique is pretty much perfect so he doesn't have any of that to worry about and his mental discipline is insane so yeah I mean I would tend to go in terms of what they would achieve I would tend to lean more towards that sort of player uh you know that just consistent relentless baseliner and you just assume that the movement's going to improve or Jelia Seam is going to get stronger. Medvedev's going to tidy up a little bit on the technique here and there. And But Shapovalov, in terms of game to watch, I can understand why that's people's favourite. Someone else who's been talked about, actually, the reason I left you yesterday, and again, I apologise for leaving you sort of mid... Yeah, apologies uh, not accepted. But <laughs> for leaving you mid-chat, was the 15-year-old Coco Goff, who had used up all her wild cards under the age eligibility rule for this year but the US Open and, and I get it the UST are not going to miss out on the opportunity I mean I don't know whether you agree or disagree with this they, of course they weren't going to miss out on the opportunity of having Coco Goff even if she'd lost and, and she went through against Anastasia Potapova but the buzz there is around Coco Goff and, and rightly so commentating on her match yesterday she lost the first set pretty comfortably and you thought oh okay hang on and, and it, it felt like a junior final because you've got a, a Wimbledon junior winner former and former world number one in, in Potapova who's only 18 against 15 year old Goff and they just felt in a good way a little bit of spice a sort of good spice to this match because there's Potapova thinking hang on a second 
let me be in this conversation. I'm only 18 I'm, and I'm doing really well. And then you've got Goff and you look in Goff's box. You couldn't fit anyone else in Goff's box. They'd have had to sit on the laps of other people. And I think it extended for about four rows behind the player box. And I'm talking mum and dad, Patrick Moritoglu, because she's part of Team Moritoglu and I guess other Moritoglu people, her coach. You had agents, other bits and peoples. I'm sure there were sponsors in. It is incredible. But she, I mean... I mean, wow. I, I, I get why they gave her a wild card. You have to have someone like that, especially at her home slam. And, and mentally, she's 15 years of age. You could see her figuring things out during that match, turning it around, staying calm, and then ultimately going on and winning. Oh, for sure she had to get a wild card in. I mean, I 100% agree with that. Even though we talked about her uh, a little while ago, a few episodes ago, in terms of the age eligibility rule and how she should be restricted, or that's my opinion anyway, and then it's a really good thing. Um, definitely you've got to play the US Open. It's a great experience and it's great learning opportunity more than anything else to play consistently at that level week in week out I think is really really unnecessary and I can't really see much benefit to it it's interesting when you talk about the team and the circus around her the hype because it's huge right the the hype is huge and the hype is huge from within the USTA from within her camp as you say in her box and also the media so I'm talking about all of it and Everybody seems to be acting like she is already top 10 and threatening for slams. And look, you can understand that because the chances are she's probably going to be that sort of player. Like you, you can't deny it. She plays incredibly well. The level of composure for her age is just, it's out of this world. But she still has some work to do. She still needs to stay fit and healthy. Um, you know, we have seen many, many talented players burst through very young and struggle a little. Think about what we thought about Shapovalov and that he was just not going to stop until he got to the top five. We thought the same thing about uh, Auger Aliassim and who he's now having a bit of a wobble and mentally looks a little bit fragile. Now, they are both, of course, already incredibly successful players, but they are not necessarily waltzing to the top 10 as people would assume. So I think there are going to be some bumps in the road for her. And I just hope that people don't panic. I can totally understand the hype because as I say, it's a good bet to think that she's going to be challenging to slams in a few years, but what happens in the next few years will dictate that. Did you ever feel, and and no, you didn't have the circus around you that she has, I'm assuming at the age of 15. I mean, it's quite, incredible the amount of people around her but as I was was commentating on the match with Leon Smith and the thing I said to Leon and I don't know if it's just me but when she she was down a set and there was no emotion in her face she stays so strong and then I saw every point they were jumping up and down I mean there's going to be some there's going to be some sore legs in that box today every single point win or lose they were out they were screaming they were clapping but I suddenly thought at that age I think my worry would be letting people down and there were people in that box that were concerned about her there were people in that box that were concerned about I guess money and other interests because it's a as you said it's a circus it's a whole business and I was sitting there thinking gosh I was 15 and and you're emotionally still maturing I'd just be and it's about you and you are there because you want to be there. But I'd have been really worried that I'd be letting all those people down that were there. Oh, and that's exactly how you feel as a, as a junior, because it's tough to know yourself and know what you want at that age. Look, some do, and it seems like she does. So I get it. But again, something I referred to, there was a pod we did ages ago now on junior tennis. And I think I said, if you took 
say, uh, Orange Bowl, for example, the big junior tournament, and you let the under-12s or under-14s play, but you banned all coaches and parents, and they just went and played. You were all in the clubhouse, couldn't see it. You didn't know any results. It was all just up to them. You weren't allowed any information on it whatsoever, and they knew that. You would get a completely different winner because the drive is to please the parents and to please the coaches that is the majority of the time and that's fine that's happened to lots of kids when when they're young and they end up getting or turning into professional players they find a way to do it for themselves and they end up loving the sport or whatever like it doesn't mean that you can't be a professional but you do have to transition your desire and your reason for doing it because it, it that just doesn't last just doing it for other people and some people just can't manage that they can't find that within themselves uh, but then I, I was also saying that if you took the under 18s at Orange Bowl and you did exactly the same thing and you got rid of everybody and no one was allowed to know any results and it was completely closed you'd probably get a similar winner you'd get similar results because at that age players know a lot more about what they're doing why they're doing it so I don't know which camp Coco would fall into but it would not be unusual that she really would be playing a little bit more for her parents and her team than she would be when she's a bit older Um, because at that moment you know the amount of sacrifice that your parents have made and the money that's gone into it and she's just she's just signed you know million dollar deals now you've got that pressure. You can't be paid a million dollars for just losing every time you play. You, that, that's not acceptable. That's how you think anyway. Of course, you can do what you want. But that's how one would think as a player. So, yeah, no, I get it. I think you're kind of spot on with that analysis. Um, and I'm sure there is an element of that. So she needs to start finding a way out of that, I think. And, and But you can only do that if the team are prepared to let go. And with the financial interests and the circus and everything that goes around it, uh, that's very, very tough for them to do. So, yeah, could be an obstacle for her. Now, I don't want to do what I did yesterday in our two-part pod and just leave you. Um, but for those... Do you know, it was. it is always you leaving. <laughs> I book out lots of time for us to have a nice chat about tennis each week. And I'm like, yeah, we'll chat for a couple of hours. I'm, I'm well into it. And you, every single time, oh, I've got to go. Sorry. It's the bus. I got over the bus because um, Johanna Contra is first up 11am local time. So um, got to get in and get ready for that. So I'm sorry to leave you again. But just a reminder, because it feels I know for people listening to this, it wasn't that long ago. But because we recorded the first part of this another day yesterday, our new website, which also has a section where people can get in touch with us. Yes, you can just uh, if you want to send us a a question. uh, So if your question maybe is a bit too long for Twitter or something like that, then just uh, fire it away on there. You can just pop us an email and we'll either get back to you via email or... Uh, we'll give you a shout out on the pod. Right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to you soon, and and next time I promise, next time we speak, I will be back in the UK, getting ready to take the boys to school. Actually, I was about to promise you as much time as you wanted, but that's probably going to be quite crazy time. But next time we speak, you've never ever given me as much time as I wanted. <laughs> um, okay, I'm gonna leave on that note. Okay, bye. I'll see ya. 